Is it on? There we go. Check. Hello. Everybody there. Okay. Um, we're going we're to continue to pray for Bob and Kathy. Uh, again, if you're not on the email list and you would like to get updates, um, let Ted or I or Alan um, know, and we'll make sure that Brad gets that to be updated on that. So we're going to continue to pray for her. Um, and I'm just going to open us up in prayer first, actually. Not a lot of announcements today. Father, would you just come before you, thanking you that you love us and that you gave Jesus Christ for us to save us from our sins, to draw us to you. And we just say it as a group that Christ is our hope. He is our salvation. He is the one in whom we rest. And all the things that happens in life, the wonderful things, the good things, the ordinary mundane things, and the really hard things, we just say it as a group that Jesus is our King and He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And so we thank you for that truth. We just ask that you would heal Kathy's body. Um, God, that you would bring her completely back to health. I pray that you would um, just be with Bob now. Jessica, Chris, and Joel, be with them. Encourage them. Draw them to you. Help them. And Father, the various people um, that have really been affected in a dramatic way by these earthquakes these last few weeks in our cities and towns in Humboldt County, we just ask that you would comfort them and that you would draw them to you and all the different things that have to happen between building inspectors and contractors and money and grants and the state and the government and insurance and all that stuff, um, that you would just help people to get settled again soon, um, that you would work all those things together and all the frustration and stress that each of those things can bring. Um, God, just turn people to you. And so we just recognize that you are our sovereign and that you are the great giver of life. And so would you be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do our scripture reading and then I'm going to dismiss the kiddos. Scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 
This is God's Word. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. So again, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in ancient Corinth. And we've been in chapter 3. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are very connected in some of the themes. Of course, the whole letter is connected and we should see it as a whole. But chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all connected. And so we need to continue to remind ourselves of the context of what Paul is saying. As we know, the church in Corinth had a lot of issues. And churches everywhere have lots of issues. Um, and ancient Corinth was no different. You know, sometimes you hear that thing uh, that people might say, some Christians, you know, we just want to return to the early church the way it was. <laughs> it's not always a good thing. Um, and so we have been here, and last week we talked about spiritual immaturity and what it means to be spiritual, spiritually mature. And we looked at how the Corinthian church had a bunch of man and woman babies. And the reason that they were adults, adult men, adult women that essentially were babies was because they were following men. They were following various Christian leaders and ascribing too much authority from them. And that they were being factional and divisive. So it was causing disunity in the church. They were bragging on who their favorite was. And they were adults that should have been already eating regular food, but they were still being nursed. They weren't ready. And so I asked you how you might grow in maturity this year. I should that question Last time, thinking about 2023, kind of doing that New Year's sermon kind of thing of what area might you want to grow in or where might immaturity be in to kind of pick one thing. And then I wondered, did this come to mind? Did the immaturity of factionalism or divisiveness, divisiveness um, come to your mind at all? Because we live in a culture that is very divisive and very factional. And in many ways, social media and some of those other things like that have just accelerated that, really tapping into the outrage of factionalism and gearing algorithms around various identities and setting people against one another. And so in many ways, the air we breathe as a culture is very divisive. And the ways in which that can infect a church And not just in the church's view, fighting about various issues outside of the walls of the church, um, which clearly has happened. Um, Just ask elections and COVID for that, and you will see how that happened. Um, But also how it can happen within the church of just becoming too attached to various leaders and kind of taking your cues just from your favorite author or pastor or speaker or kind of starting to tie your identity to them. And so that has been some of the context of what Paul is writing into and some of our context here. And so we just really need to see that this is a serious issue. 
Division and disunity in the church are serious issues. They are sins. Why? Because Christ is one. Because Christ's body is one. It is a diverse body, but it is one and it is to be one. And so, that's the context that we've been looking at. Last week, it kind of closed with that picture and that imagery of the fact that we are, our identity is God's field, God's building. So the way in which to be spiritually mature is to really recognize God is the owner. God is the gardener. God is the one that brings the growth. You're the field. You're the building. You are God's. So view your life in that way. And don't just know it intellectually, but act as if that is true in practice. So looking at verse 10. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me. That phrase. And I always love it how the Apostle Paul always starts with grace. Grace. Gift. And that Christianity is, from the top to the bottom, all about grace. And it's a gift. It's what separates it from all of the various religions or non-religions of the world. It's not about you It's not about a certain pathway and practice you have to do. um, It is about Christ. It is about God's gift to the world. God coming down to earth to rescue a people. And so Paul starts again with grace. He says, according to the grace of God given to me. This is a gift. This is divine empowerment. And we have to see that first. What Paul does in Corinth is through the grace of God. Sometimes we think of grace or we think of the Christian life as kind of like a shot of bourbon. It's kind of like this thing of just you get this buzz first, not that anybody would know what that is, and that's kind of it. You kind of get the first one. You, you had it at the altar, you had it at the day you wrote the card or you made the decision for Jesus, and then that's kind of it. Now you move on to getting the work done. Well, that's not how Paul views grace. Grace is the heartbeat of Christianity. It's all the way through. The whole thing comes from grace. So grace just isn't about being forgiven of your sins. It's about being empowered to live the Christian life and the various gifts in which God gives. And so, that is the picture that Paul has about what he is doing. That his ministry is from the empowerment and the gift of God. But also, the flip side is human responsibility. And we see that here. You see the word I. So he first says, according to the grace of God given to me, grace is primary, God is first. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. So his responsibility, it empowers him to go do something. It's just not kind of like left in the background. He can say, and it's not a denial of grace, I built the foundation. I'm out here doing this. I am one of the builders. And so, he's not a Christian that just views something in the past happening, but that grace comes all the way through and that he can now work in the grace of God and that he himself has responsibility to take action and to work. So like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Okay? I did it. We see those two things. Human responsibility. Um, We see 
human confidence in a sense that he's under God. He's still going to say that about him. And we also see the way in which he does it, that he's a skilled master builder. Now, what's interesting with that word skilled, and some of your Bibles may have a footnote, that basically means wisdom. The Greek word is like sophos, and I'm going to mess up the way that that should be pronounced. But, again, think about Greek thought and Greek culture, Sophia, wisdom, a big deal in this culture, having their various philosophers and people that they follow. Massive. Separates you from the other people. I'm following this person, I'm following this other person. But he's using that same term. Actually, I got wisdom. But we already know from the chapters before that this is a different kind of wisdom. Kind of like saying, yep, I got the wisdom. I'm a wise builder. But it's a different kind of wisdom than you guys are used to. It's not like a competitive, worldly wise, fancy ways of talking, great philosophy and wisdom. But I have been given a gift by God to be a skilled, wise builder. But the wisdom is founded on something completely different. You guys, in fact, think it's weak, it's foolish, and it's folly. But that's actually true wisdom. And I am a wise, skilled, sophos, builder, master builder, architecton. Sound familiar? Architect. But again, we've got to go way back to ancient Corinth to get this picture. It's not somebody sitting at a computer making cool drafting stuff and sitting there with a mouse or with an just amazing pencil and perfect measurements and all that, though that happened, but not quite the way that we do it now. But he is a skilled master builder. And he says, someone else is building upon it. So, he's the one who was building, but now someone else. There's a bunch of other people that are going to build on this building. There's a bunch of them. And sometimes that would even happen in that culture. You would have various people that would come through. Obviously, some of you guys know building way better than me. I'm probably one of the least handy persons in this whole church. It's a little ridiculous. Um, but this, this picture should really tap into some of us here are very accustomed to that particular trade. And that's the language that he's using. Someone else has been, there's a bunch of subcontractors, there's a bunch of different builders. Um, and I am one of them. And so we just got to recognize that God has given a bunch of different people to his church with all their different personalities, different diversity. There's a bunch of them out there. And he laid the foundation, but there's a bunch of other people building on it. So what does he say to them? You better take care. You better pay attention to how he builds upon it. So, the ones who come after a Paul, or once a church gets started, the ones who begin to teach and do various other things, act as elders or deacons or different things like that, um, they better pay attention to how they build upon it. Watch. Be watchful. And then he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, we have one building, lots of builders, one foundation. Okay? And he says, no one can lay another foundation. There will be no other foundation to this building. So, in one sense, you say, well, now you're sounding kind of divisive. Here you're against factionalism and all that kind of stuff, and you're actually saying, there's just one foundation. So, in that point, he's saying, hey... 
Heresy, when you get Jesus wrong, when you get the foundation wrong, you're not even a church. It's not even Christianity. There's only one foundation. You don't get to kind of mix in a bunch of stuff into the foundation other than Jesus. He is the one foundation. But there's going to be a ton of different builders on top of that foundation. So I was looking up what foundations do. Again, sometimes it's interesting how God arranges this kind of stuff. Because we're thinking about foundations lately. Normally, we don't think about foundations, unless you're weird. Or at least I don't. We don't just think about when we're, when we're inside of our house doing all of our stuff, dinners, um, sleeping. You're not just constantly thinking, man, the foundation is so great in this house. I love foundations. And it's just a, like, like it's not, it is out of sight. It is completely out of mind until there's a crisis, until the earth starts shaking. Then you start thinking about the foundation. Now, there's a way in which we can look at it that way and a way in which we shouldn't look at Christ that way because we shouldn't treat Jesus as irrelevant. We're going to get to that in a second. But just focusing on kind of the foundation issue for a second. When things shake, foundations matter. It's what holds the entire thing together. And if it's a bad foundation, it is a problem. Displacement, death, Structure collapse, you name it. So I was looking up, you know, what do some foundations do? Well, they hold up the load of the house. The house is held up by the foundation. If you mess up the foundation part, you can build a ton of stuff on top of it and it might collapse. It keeps it from moving. You've got to have a foundation. The earth moves, as we know. Um, change, weather. It keeps insects out. You don't just put it right on the dirt. What happens when you get, you get a bunch of termites and all kinds of weird things that come in? It keeps water damage from happening. You know, when you look at the bottom of the, or the foundation or you got your soil too high or something, all of a sudden, oh man, look at the corner of the house. There's a bunch of water damage. Water damage is really frustrating. Um, and it also smells. But so those are things, those are just some of the things that happen from having a good foundation. So, when disaster comes, you want a good foundation. So, a good question to ask is, what are, we can say this personally and as a church, again, this is actually a corporate, it's talking to everybody, but really, just just a good sidebar, what are you building your life on? Like, and what in practice does it show you're building your life on? This is a good way to reveal idolatries and all kinds of different things. These can be good things, these can be bad things. But, when everything goes away, or when crisis comes, is Christ your foundation? Because crisis will come. The big crisis is death. That will happen. And where's your hope going to be? It better be Christ. And then there's all kinds of smaller, of greater magnitude in the spectrum that happen along the way of life. What are you building your life on? And it should be Christ. And so, no other foundation can be laid. It is not to be tolerated. There's no other foundation than Jesus. And that is unpopular in our culture. Then he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Okay? So he starts to throw out a bunch of building materials. And so, on top of this foundation, there's going to be a structure on it. And one thing that's important 
to know, and this is when we get back to just how foundations can kind of become irrelevant in our lives until they're not, but actually, the structure has to match the foundation. One New Testament scholar put it this way, the superstructure of the building must conform to the pattern of the foundation, and that happens in the real world. If the whole structure is off or if the foundation wasn't made right, the structure is not going to work. So, all of the different stuff in life, all of the different doctrine that we believe, all of the different day-to-day stuff that we do, all the different ethics and ways of life that Christianity calls us to, is to conform to the foundation. Jesus, it's all got to flow from Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, great old preacher, put it like this, and of course it's in a little different language. My brethren, always set forth the gospel in close connection with your Lord, fetching it, as it were, out of him. The juice of the grape is pleasant, but if you would know what it is in all its purity, keep the grapes near you and press them in the vineyard where they grow. So the gospel, Christ, is the wine of Christ, but it is sweetest when it flows fresh from the cluster. Preach Jesus Christ himself when you preach his doctrine. Or else you make the doctrine to be like the stone at the door of his sepulcher, his grave. Whereas it ought to be like a throne of ivory on which, like another Solomon, your Lord sits resplendent. In other words, every doctrine, everything you believe is supposed to flow from Christ. All of our practices, our way of life, what God calls us to, isn't just to make us good people, it's to flow from the person of Christ. And so, the building materials, there's going to be a bunch of different kinds of building materials. So again, a bunch of builders, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, these are basically three different categories. They can mean different things. You have gold, silver, and precious stones. And one, in another category, you have wood, hay, and straw. What's some of the difference? Well, in this context, the difference is some are combustible and some aren't. Some are flammable and some aren't. The first three are not, while the next three are. Okay, so that's one picture. You also had during that day gold, silver, and precious stones is a lot of what built up temples. And that would have been in their mind. While things like wood, hay, and straw were oftentimes like poor people. You would kind of build the dwellings that way. But public buildings and things like that would be adorned with all kinds of other, other stuff. And... Not just in Greek culture, but in Jewish culture, speaking to the people of God, the Old Testament, you're going to have all kinds of stuff going through your mind about temples. And as you see later, that's the point of the imagery here. Temples, pagan temples built with all kinds of stuff like that, and also God's temple. Again, this is just amazing ways in which you have little passages like this that can open up all different types of scripture. Think about the Old Testament. So the tabernacle is being built in Exodus. God says he inspired and empowered these, what was it? Oh, Holy Bob, or how do you say his name? But he inspired these people to, to skip, these skilled workers, the Spirit helped them build the tabernacle. And I would just even say as an aside, you don't separate things like you can get up here on a stage and preach, and that's great, and you can be horrible at building. It's not like one is better than the other. Okay? Some of you guys are awesome builders. There's all kinds of Bible verses that show, that's amazing, do it! All the way. Anyway, so skilled worker, Spirit-inspired happened with the tabernacle. Paul is calling himself a skilled worker, and he's a builder too. You also have the tabernacle. Um, You have when David charges his son to build it, 
And he talks about all this gold and silver and all the stuff that he's given. And you got all the stuff now, go build it. It's going to be this beautiful, rich building. And some of these types of um, metals being used. And so he's just reminding, and, and they're having all this temple imagery going of where, where God dwells, the beauty of where God is. That this is actually the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling place of, of God. And so, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Some translations may have that day capitalized. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, not only do we have this picture of kind of beautiful stones, more attractive metals, um, other things that are kind of like worthless, combustible. He's really tying in how this relates to fire. And he's speaking, in this case, to Christian ministers, to people that are out building the temple and laying on top of the foundation. And he's saying, hey, all these people you get all excited about and you say you're following this, that, or the other person, He's saying each one of their work is going to be disclosed on the day of the Lord Jesus when the second coming happens. And so what's the point? The point is that God is the building's inspector. Okay? You may like building inspectors. You may not like it. It probably depends upon which job or which inspector. But in this case, there's a perfect building inspector coming. And that will happen on the day of the Lord Jesus. And I think in this context, it's kind of a little backhand thing to say, You aren't the building inspector. But some of us try to act like it all the time. Try to make sure the pastor's saying exactly the right thing. Again, there's a discernment thing that's right and good and we should do that. We've just talked about some of that. But in this context, you have this competitive edge, these factionalisms that are taking and this lack of recognition of thinking that you're the one who's got it all figured out. And he's reminding them, you know what? There's actually a day coming in the future when he's going to figure it out the big building inspector is going to come to town, so to speak, and check the building. Okay? And if you've ever been on Twitter or Facebook or social media, there's a lot of people that think they're building inspectors about Christianity and about every other kind of thing. We've got to be careful with that attitude because it can lead to pride and jealousy and strife and factionalism. And we need to recognize, as a way of being mature, God is the building inspector. It's going to happen on the day. And so, what's going to happen? Everyone's work, all that they've built, Paul's work, everybody else's, all these different people that are building on the church doctrine, the form of church, what we should do, what shouldn't we do, you go through it, that on that day, there's going to be a disclosure. There's going to be a revealing. There's going to be a revelation of whether it was actually valuable or not, whether it was actually worthless or not. Each one's work will become manifest. In this context, he's talking about the ministers. He's not talking about necessarily all individual Christians. Yes, you can make applications about family and work and all other kinds of things. But in general, he's speaking broadly to all these different spiritual leaders that they have. It's kind of funny. Martin Luther, and we have people called Lutherans. We like to do this. We like to name. <laughs> we like to name people. He was a pretty blunt dude. And he was pretty screwed up too, by the way. He can be an extremely racist person, which is another story. But he said this, 
What is Luther? This is him talking. The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. How did I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? So that's what Luther thought about it. <clears throat> and so we got to be careful um, to name ourselves after individuals other than Christ. And that there is a day coming that is going to reveal whether that person's work mattered or not. Whether it's going to burn up like wood, hay, and straw, or whether it's going to last through fire like gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, this imagery is a little different than like in Thessalonians, when he talks about fire, he's talking about like eternal judgment. He's saying there's a day coming when fire is coming. When for those that don't know Jesus, there will be judgment. Thessalonians is very clear about that. It's a sobering reality, the day of the Lord. Eternal judgment forever. With God or without him. But this fire imagery is a little different. He's talking about something else. This fire imaging is more of testing. Okay, It's more of revealing the kind of work. Each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. So it's a judgment according to reward. Not a judgment about you are apart from me or you're with me. No, this particular judgment is about reward. What's the reward? We don't really know. <laughs> but there's all kinds of Bible verses. Jesus talks a lot about reward. We know that there will be reward given when work is done well in Christian ministry and also in all other parts of life. But again, this context of this verse is about Christian ministers. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, we know this has to be a different kind of fire because it's saying this person is going to be saved. They're going to be saved. They're going to go through fire, fire of testing, a revealing will take place of whether this ministry or that person or that individual built and actually it didn't do anything. It was a lot of fluff. It was a lot of cultural stuff of whatever culture it is throughout the pattern of church history. But it wasn't actually founded in flowing from the person of Jesus Christ. may have had Jesus, but there was a bunch of stuff on top and different things that just doesn't last. It's pretty amazing. He himself will be saved. But the work is going to be burned up. Now, Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholic teaching, purgatory, and sometimes be gathered from verses like this. I actually was looking at a Roman Catholic commentary of a modern scholar, and that guy actually said, there's nowhere exegetically, purgatory's not in here at all. Okay, so let's just get rid of that. That's even a Catholic scholar speaking. And then in the sentence, that, but, but church history shows different things. That's a different sermon. But the point is, is that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about, hey, man, I really jacked up my life, and now I've got to go through a bunch of fire right at the end on... On, on the day, and then maybe I'll get to this next location of heaven or whatever. It's not about that. It's about, is the work that has been built on the foundation of the people of God, is it lasting or not? 
because the building inspector is coming and it will be revealed. And then, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is actually mentioned a part later in Corinth too. But in this part, the you, and this is important when you read to, to understand sometimes Greek a little bit, because you'll look at, there's a footnote in some Bibles in the ESV, go right down, footnote two. The Greek for you is plural. So, he's not saying you individually. He's not saying BJ, Jake, Martha, Floyd. He's saying us. He's saying y'all. Okay? He's saying, do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. So it's corporate. It's broad. He's speaking to the whole church. This is the sacred space and dwelling place of God. So again, we have soberness here. We have beauty here. (laughs) He's saying that to people that we're reading about that sure don't seem that sacred. He's saying, hey, this is who you are. This is who y'all are. And we know that, one, because of the context of all of this building talk, and two, because he just says it, you're God's temple, and actually the word that's used there Again, I'm not going to say it because I'll mess it up, but there's a distinction between the type of temple. There's like the temple and all the temple grounds and the temple precincts. Remember when the temple was built? There's like separations and there's this cord and that cord and then the outside. Well, the word that he uses is the one for the dwelling place of God. So he's not just saying, hey, you're the temple and yeah, you got some people kind of on the outskirts over here and some are here and some are here. No, he's saying this is the dwelling place of God, which would have been a huge cultural slap in the face. Because there's a bunch of temples everywhere that are not. And that actually goes for both what could be a Jewish temple or a pagan temple. In this sense, that where God dwells now is the church and it's not a location. It's the people of God. Again, this building with all of its cracks does not matter ultimately at all. When we say we're going to church, we say we're going to meet with the sacred people of God. And we're not talking about a building. That's the way he's... And he's talking about people like you and like me and like us with all different kinds of issues and he's calling that out of us in a sense. You are the dwelling place of God. When you read the Old Testament, that's a big deal. People die in there. Like only certain people can go in there. He's saying, you are the dwelling place of God. You are the sacred space of God. That is who y'all are. And the do you not know, that's kind of like a rhetorical device. It's kind of like with a little bit of attitude. You guys should know this. We've talked about this. He says that like ten times in this letter. Don't you know this? Aren't you kind of getting this by now? And and we can all do that. We should know that each and every day. You probably say it to yourself. Should have known that. I know this. Why did I do that? Whatever it is. Do you not know that you, you all, you all, are God's temple, the dwelling place of God, the holy, sacred space of God. There's not room for factional, competitive infighting, for division of rich and poor and all these other things that were going on in Corinth. 
There's not room for any of that kind of stuff. You are one. You're on the foundation. You're on the one, Jesus Christ. There's going to be a bunch of builders. Some are going to kind of mess it up. Some are going to do different things. Some are going to have different personalities. Some are going to have different ways. We, there's going to be various doctrines. We should all think critically and all that kind of stuff. But if the foundation, if Jesus Christ is the teaching, we should have a lot of broadness while still being discerning. And so he's just saying to them, hey, you all are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. And then again, the sobering phrase, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. The paragraph before sure seems to be, it's not talking about a complete temple destruction, but we know that if churches start preaching somebody other than Jesus Christ, that there is a kind of building that's a totally different foundation. And God will destroy it. The church will not last. We see that in certain parts of the world. The church can drift. The church can disappear where it was thriving and can be gone. Though we know that over the whole world that God will build His church, the gates of hell will not prevail in it. He has a place to dwell and it's in His people. I love how the NASB translation ends it. This is what you are. That's the last phrase. ESV, you are that temple. Feels a little, oh, you are that temple. It feels a little bit more casual and good. There's something about the way that the NASB says it that for me resonates a little bit more. He ends it with, this is what you are. The sacred dwelling place of God. So, a way to grow in our Christian maturity individually. Man, do you believe that? Do you believe that you, that y'all are the sacred dwelling place of God? And do you take things like competitiveness, factionalism, being the best speaker, having it all perfect, all of that kind of stuff. Do you, do you give that such a, such a high rank that you're just, you kind of got a heart of division. You always got to be the one that's right all of the time. And we got to be careful with that. We are the temple of God. We are built with His body and His blood. Christ is the one. And the meal that we do, the practices that we engage in in this temple, and some of those pagan practices that happened in the temple were not good. The things that the gods would require were not good. What we do is all of us get together and we have a meal in the temple. And the meal shows that we are one in Him and that there is only one, Jesus Christ, His body and His blood broken for us. And so, we're going to sing. And if you want to come up and grab communion, we're going to remember that. His body and that we're His temple.
same letter, all in the same pen from the same mouth, right before we read the text that I read a lot, that Bob reads a lot, that other reads a lot, when we take this, this part is what's said, okay? In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating each goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So that's the context. And then we read the verse we get used to. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. We close. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that blood.
good week and bless you and um, there are some coffee in the back and some um, treats probably.